0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Brienne McIver is the author of The God of Good Looks, a novel. Brienne is an award-winning writer. Her short story collection, Where There Are Monsters, was published in 2019. She holds degrees in English from the Universities of Cambridge and Edinburgh and has a certificate in advanced professional makeup artistry. She lives in her home country of Trinidad and Tobago. The God of Good Looks is her debut novel. Welcome, Brianne. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel, The God of Good Looks. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you for joining. Can you please tell listeners what your book is about? Sure. So. Bianca
2: Bridge, she has been publicly disgraced after an affair with a married government minister. So she's fired from her job and she takes the only job that will hire her, which is working as an assistant to the brilliant but temperamental makeup artist Obadiah Cortland. Obadiah is legendary in the Trinidadian beauty community, but he's also sort of concealing some secrets about his past and when her former lover, the minister, threatens a new life she's rebuilding, Bianca has to decide if she's going to accept it
0: again or if she's finally
2: ready to fight back.
0: Interesting. Love it. So your book is so clever because you have this first person diary-ish Format that you pick where we are along for the ride with Bianca while she's trying to be an author, and yet we're here reading her book, which is always so fun. It's like the Bridget Jones diary if she wanted to be an author. It's very cool. (laughs) So we get to really live through her shoes and her modeling days and like all the stuff. And even when we meet Obadiah and the way she describes him, and I don't know, I think you said he had like two pierces in his ear. I don't know, there's two pierces in his ear or there was something like so cool about him. I don't know. Anyway, whatever it was, it was so perfectly visually described. I was like, okay, I know this guy. I know exactly his air and how he like FedExes her weight and all that stuff. So funny. But anyway, so you contrast that with another timeline. So tell me about the structure because it's really interesting and immediately kind of grips the reader.
2: Yeah. So like you said, the first part of the book is Bianca's diary entries. And I was really drawn to the Juno style because I wanted to get in her head in a really intimate way, especially because at the start of the book, um, Bianca is just like this laughing stock in Trinidadian society. She's being slut shamed for her affair with the minister. And I wanted to contrast sort of the public perception of Bianca with what she's really like. And I had originally written the whole book. From her perspective, Um, something was just off about it. Hmm. And I had sent the book out to just some friends, some early readers, and people responded to me and they said, okay, love the book, but Obadiah is awful. He's a villain. And I was shocked by that feedback. I said, no, he's not. And I realized that so much of Obadiah's story, I had written it in my head, but Ah. hadn't come out on the page because... Bianca sees him through her eyes so it's broken up now in the final version alternating between Bianca and Obadiah and I hope that by switching to his perspective because he's pretty awful to her in the beginning you know readers can see why he thinks he has to adopt this persona because his whole thing is he is the god of good looks and why he thinks that's what he needs to succeed in the beauty industry
0: Interesting. I mean, I think that's what's so great about fiction is that you take what we all do all day long, which is make these quick judgments about people, or you take a behavior and extrapolate it to what type of person it is, when it could be a behavior of some person that comes from a place of their own hurt or their own baggage or whatever. And until you get the backstory, it's impossible to be sympathetic. That's exactly how I feel. And since the book has been out
2: in Trinidad, one of the really gratifying things is talking to readers who know people who come from the Beetham. That's where Obadiah is from. And people admitting that sometimes there'll be people from, those, from that area who will say things like, oh gosh, you know, the crime is so bad, or they were robbed. And almost dismissing it being like, yeah, you're from that area too. You know, almost assuming that they're part of the problem. And I've mm. said, you know, I've read that book and I really thought, yeah, you know, what about not just sort of stapling on these stereotypes to the people from parts of the country that we've sometimes think of as being, you know, oh, okay, he's from this area. Well, I'm going to assume that he's a criminal.
0: Okay, well... When did the whole idea of this book even come to you? Like, why this book? Why these characters? Why the diary? I mean, you said why you did the format of the diary to be in her head, but why any of it? Like, where did it come from?
2: Sure. So I was commissioned by the Lit Fest and the Caribbean Literary Heritage Project to do something called Inspired by the Archives so you sort of go into Caribbean archives and you just write something inspired by one of the sort of former great writers and I requested um a little black notebook belonging to Derek Walcott Caribbean Nobel Prize winner and I thought okay this is going to show me you know the softer side of him because he's just incredibly intellectually intimidating in his work and actually The notebook was incredibly clever. So he conducts this self-interview where he says, W, colon, why have you succumbed to this self-interview? And then he answers, W, colon, for the money. And like, (laughs) talks to himself. And those became my first lines. Yes. I was working at the time as a makeup artist. And it was like, I didn't consciously think, okay, I'm going to write about beauty and makeup and fashion but it just sort of like gushed onto the page, all of these things that I was experiencing. And I had all of these questions about beauty. I could see both the sort of joy in makeup and the way that it can you know, allow you to express yourself, the way that we use makeup at Trinidad, for example, in Carnival for that sort of big cultural celebration. But I also saw the toxic side of beauty and the very narrow beauty standards And you would go to different clients and they would ask for the same things. You know, can you narrow my nose? Can you sort of highlight this specific spot on my cheekbone? Can you take out my wrinkles? And I also, I think on some level, wanted to engage with that because predominantly women, you know, we just hear so many things about how you have to be beautiful. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And it was a question I had for myself working in the industry. Are you like supporting these beauty ideals? Are you just giving clients what they want? So it was a way for me to sort of engage with those experiences that I was having. So the the journal style came from Walcott and it was only supposed to be a commission. It was a short story. It was supposed to finish and I just couldn't let it go. Like I wanted to find out what happened to the characters. I wanted to get in their head. And so I just kept sort of writing and
0: writing and then it became a book. Wow. That's amazing. Tell me about like how you got to the point where you got the commission to begin with. So where did your career begin? When did you discover your love of reading, writing, all of that? So I have loved reading and writing like my whole life.
2: One thing Bianca and I have in common is Bianca talks about following her mother around before she could even read and reading to her. Yes, you did that with the stories and everything. (laughs) I did that. My mom, I can't even remember doing it, but my mom tells me, like, I would just have a book open and I would be just making stuff up. When I got older, I would write little stories for my younger brother and have these, like, terrible illustrations to go along with it. And in my school yearbook, when they said, what do you want to be? I actually said, poet slash novelist. I mean... My poetry is terrible,
0: yeah. but 50%. <laughs> you didn't say good poet. You just said poet. Just a poet.
2: But I had no idea, okay, how do you actually become a writer? So I'm based in Trinidad and it sometimes seemed like this sort of crazy thing that, you know, okay, people do it. Maybe you have to leave to become a writer. And so I would just write short stories, submit them to competitions or to journals. and Eventually, one of my friends said, you know, why don't you put the stories together in a collection? And it sounds really silly now, but I had never thought of that. I was like, wow, yes. So I published a collection of stories with Peep Tree Press, and that was my first foray into publishing. And Before the experience, a lot of writers had warned me, they had said, you think this book is going to change your life. It's not, it's just going to be the same, but just having a book in the world, like knowing that it was out there, just that was such a magical experience for me. So that book actually came out while I was writing this, something completely different. And I said, okay, let me try and, you know, try to get an agent, see if I can be published. And yeah, so that was how I sort of,
0: bought onto this path. I love it. And tell me about the makeup career. What are some funny stories or like what did you I mean, I always feel like people are they their most vulnerable. Like the few times I've had my makeup done, which I don't love because then I end up not looking like me, which means I've probably had bad people doing my makeup or I don't even know, but I, uh, I'm very particular, but anyway, but like they're right up in your face, right? You're so close together and yet you're strangers and they're like trying to make you better. They're like doing something so nice for you. Right. And like working on your face, like a canvas. And yet you're still thinking it. I mean, it's like this really intimate experience.
2: Yeah, Honestly, working in beauty was something that I sort of tripped and fell into it. I used to be very involved in the theater. I used to be a teacher. And a couple of times we had a makeup artist cancel on us once the day of the show. And so my parents said, look, do you want to learn to do it yourself? We'll pay for you to do this course in advanced professional makeup artistry. And I just, well, how hard could it be? I like beauty. When I got to the course, so first of all, I was the only person there who wasn't already working as a makeup artist. So I was intensely self-conscious because everybody had all of these tips and tricks and it far exceeded any expectations I had. So we had to write essays. We had to pass exams. We had to do presentations. You were assessed on your own appearance because one of the Mm. things that we were taught was, listen, if you're a woman, the biggest advertisement is your face. So, you can't have an off day. You can't just run to the mall, you know, barefaced in a t-shirt because a potential client could see you and think, "Oh, she's a mess. I won't So, the course itself really blew my mind. Like I would be writing 3 essays in a week and my friends would say, "This is for the makeup course? Like what?" And then when I started working, It was such an eye-opening experience because exactly like you said, people are so vulnerable. You know, I had somebody once, she wanted me to do like her revenge face. She was going to like a concert and her ex-boyfriend was the guitarist. And she was like, I don't want him back. I just want him to see me and think, damn, she looks good. (laughs) You know, so it it was such a personal thing for her. And sometimes there are people who, you know, it's like a wedding and it's such a significant event that you want to get everything right. You know, you do the trial with the bride, you get the sort of pictures of what they want to look like. And then carnival makeup was something completely different. It was a transformation. It was like no other makeup before. So it was really exciting. Honestly, there were times when it was really nerve wracking because, you know, like you make a mistake of cleaning it up and you're just like... But no, I loved the part of it that involved sort of seeing what people wanted to to look like and sort of working with them on that vision. I think as it got complicated for me, it was when you would hear people sometimes be so negative about themselves. I remember doing makeup for somebody and she was my friend. We were both in our 20s and she was like, okay you need to take the lines out here and the sides of my eyes. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, you don't need all of that concealing. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, Brie, I'm paying you. Like, this is what I want. And I'm looking at somebody whose, you know, skin is so smooth and yeah, you conceal it. And she felt so much better when I was done. And I was just, you know, there was part of me that was thinking, why do you think you need to do this? Even as There were times I felt I needed to do it. And I look back on myself when I was in that world and how intensely insecure and self-conscious I was. And Mm. yeah, so I think that would probably be the downside to it.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen my makeup at my two weddings. (laughs) So that was good. But just like some other random experiences were not as good, but I did really like that. Um, But that's interesting. Uh, Is there one piece of makeup you can't
2: live without? Oh my gosh. I actually think I love a good pore minimizer. Like sometimes I wear just that. I do my face and I just like put it on. I think it really, for me anyway, just smooths kind of gives you this really smooth look and it's quick. So if I'm rushing, I wouldn't even wear mascara. Sometimes I'll just be like, pore minimizer and go. And sometimes people say, well, your skin looks great. And I'll be like, yeah. (laughs) In my head, I'm like, it's not always skincare. You know,
0: sometimes it's just, I guess the blurring effect. I don't even have a poor minimizer. What have I been doing with all my time? All right. I'm going to go Google poor minimizers after this interview. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Tell me back to the writing stuff. So now that I have my beauty tip of the day, thank you for that. Tell me about your writing process. Like I'm looking at you at your desk here, which or I'm assuming is your desk, but looks lovely. Is that where you do your writing or like, what is your timing? Like, do you have a process, favorite snacks while you're writing, anything like that?
2: So we just moved so I didn't write at this desk and at the time I had a full-time job so this book was written sort of late into the night into early in the morning and what I would try to do is I would try to sort of get all of that stuff out so if I had any work stuff around I would literally move it and hide it Mm. I would try to like light a candle to kind of get you know get this feeling of, okay, this is writing time. Um, For me, I think that something that really helped me a lot as well was music, you know, sort of getting out of the day and listening to something that sort of helped me to get back into the characters. And then because this book was written and then rewritten, I had written the whole first draft from Bianca's perspective. And when I went back into it and I was trying to decide, okay, which story should Obadiah tell? I sort of tried to pull out the parts where his perspective would be very different from hers because I wanted to build that contrast between what she thinks. And then I wanted, when you get in his head, you realize how different he is to her. So I really went through the text. I knew I still wanted her to start. I think if, you know, the story was started with him, it wouldn't be as effective. But then I went through and I said, okay, this scene, I want him to tell this story. And The process of rewriting it while having an existing draft actually felt liberating. It was almost like, oh, I should have been doing this all the time. And I think another big part of my writing process is just reading. When you're reading good books, that makes you want to write. It just fills me with this sense of, oh, this book is so fantastic. I can't wait to sit at my desk.
0: That's excellent. Actually, your book is inspiring me too. My daughter, I have a daughter who's almost 10. And we have this idea for a book we want to write together called Crushed or something because it's about how she has a crush. But then there were like crushing things in the mom's life. So I wanted to like intersperse those narratives. But now I'm like, I should do journal style like you did. And she can just write the journal entries from the girl and I can write the journal entries from the mom. And there, then you'd have the whole thing. That would be amazing because
2: I just... I mean, I'm getting excited for it. I know it doesn't even exist, but I love (laughs) this thought of the daughter's perspective and then the mom's perspective because it would be so different, but there would be some overlap. And I just Mm -hmm. that's so fascinating.
1: Well,
0: the form is now being inspired by you because now I feel like we could each do it on our own without even having to sit here and do it together. I mean, I want to do it with her. Anyway, point is, I love it. I love the journal form. I actually have like a whole cabinet of all of my journals from my whole life. Do you have journals? Did you keep your own? I kept journals when I was sort of like
2: a girl and a teenager. I don't think that now I keep a journal in the same way. Like I don't have something that I write in every day, but a friend and I send each other incredibly long voice notes. Like sometimes 15 minutes long, just sort of stream of consciousness. And we have actually joked that like that is like our life journal because I'll just be like all right let me give you an update since the last time And will be 15 minutes of talking and we said you know if you ever were to listen to the was back this has been going on for years you probably hear you know just all of our struggles our evolution as people
0: so it's a kind of
2: you know journal
0: that's amazing I feel like my Instagram account is my journal these days because I write in it every day <laughs> Um, I mean, not always my most personal thoughts, but sometimes. And now I'm like, I need to find a way to get all of it off of there and like put it into some sort of document and print it. Because otherwise all those thoughts of mine are not going to be saved. Not like anyone needs to read them, but like I might want to read them in like 20 years. God for, you know, God willing, I'm still around. So I don't know.
2: Yeah, it would be a great book. Like somebody's like Instagram sort of translated into
0: a book. Yeah. Huh. We could call it. Posted. Yes. <laughs> Look at this. Now I have two book ideas from you. I got to get going. So <laughs> uh, that would be great. Oh my gosh! Speaking of new book ideas,
2: are you working on a new book? I am actually. How it started was very similar to the God of Good Looks. So I wrote something that was meant to be a short story, and it was about nine thousand words, which is long for a short story. And I said, "No, a long story." <laughs> I said, i got to cut this long story down. And instead of cutting it down, I wanted to continue. And I have a little notebook with three ideas. It's like literally with a next book at the top and the bullet points which each one. And I just kept writing this. So now I'm thousand words in and I'm like, oh, well, there you go. This is going to be the next book, barring, I guess, an agent or an editor saying, absolutely not. But it has been a very similar process. I think my starting point is often character. Um, mm-hmm. I have two characters here that just sort of sunk their teeth into me. And now I just, I want to find out what happens.
0: Do you wonder what happens to like Bianca and all of them now? Obadiah? I do. I think
2: I can see both what I want to have one. There's a part of me that feels like I know the characters and I want them to live in this sort of perfect world where they never have any problems. So there's a part of me that says, oh yes, you know, everything will be perfect. And, you know, Obadiah's business will flourish. And then there's, I guess, the writer side of me that said, no, you know, these are the problems that they would still be having. I don't want to give away the end, but
0: yeah, don't, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) There is a part of me that like, Knows that there would be definitely some challenges along along their new journey.
0: What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Ooh,
2: so I think the first piece of advice I would have is just read, read, read. And I would say, like when I love a book, I read it first just as a reader. I just to know what happens, turning the pages. But I would advise to sort of go back to that book when you're done as a writer and think, okay what did i love and actually like make notes about the craft and look at the things in the craft that maybe you can learn from or you know if a scene is particularly powerful just like analyze it and break it down and i would say do the same thing if you really hate something um go back and think okay why do i hate this what can i learn so that i don't do this and I think mm. the other thing is that I've talked to so many aspiring writers and what I hear a lot is that they've started something, but they're so disappointed with it that the world of the book in their head is just completely different from what's down on the page. And sometimes they compare their pages, like a first draft, a finished book they love and say, oh, well, it's no, you know, insert your favorite book here. And I would say that, yes, there are times when something is going nowhere and you have to give up on it. But most times, books that you see that are finished are the product of many, many, many drafts and redrafts. And so, you know, if you feel this sort of deep disappointment with your work, I would say take a break, have a cup of tea or just sometimes take a break from it for like the rest of the day or several days. But, you know, don't judge your work against something that's out there and published And I've heard it's been really a great comfort to me when I was writing this book. I would listen to podcasts. I would look at sort of like Instagram Live with authors I love. And anytime somebody said, I had a terrible first draft or this book took me seven years to write, I would
0: say, oh, you see, but look at what they came up with in the end. Mm, Very interesting. I like what you said about not comparing yourself to to a, a finished book, because that's never the way people start. Like that's not what's in people's computers when they hand it in. It's gone through so much by the time it hits the hits the shelves.
2: Yeah, I to go back to that Inspired by the Archives project I was doing, one of the things I saw was the first drafts of great works. And sometimes the endings were completely different. The, you know, even at the sentence level, you could see that this was a first draft. And I thought, wow, you know, even the sort of like great literary icons have these messy first drafts.
0: Very inspiring. Amazing. Well, Brianne, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. Thank you for the God of Good Looks. And thank you for the poor minimizer <laughs> suggestion. Do you have a brand that you like? Where should I buy it? I I use like the Maybelline baby skin. It is, okay. a,
2: first of all, drugstore. But second of all, it's great on its own on the makeup.
0: I, yeah, okay. right now. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm going to go buy some I'm, I'm going to go buy some today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you, could, you could sell it as like a little package and you should call Maybelline and get some like affiliate revenue deal going on. That's to a beauty book box. <laughs> totally. You should do it. I mean, stranger things have happened. Give them a call. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thank have you time. so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.